Hey everyone, welcome to just another episode of Just Another College Football Podcast. My name is Tommy Brzee, your host, and today we're going to get into week one, talk a little bit about the crazy upsets that happen, a little bit about Utah, Florida, FSU, LSU, and then we'll get into week two. We'll talk a great slate that we have this week. We got Oregon, Texas Tech, and obviously Texas going to Alabama, which is a huge one to watch out for. All right, let's get to it. everyone welcome into just another college football podcast my name is Tommy Brzee and today we're going to talk a little week one we're going to talk a little week two but let's start back uh, last Tuesday over a week ago now with Utah versus Florida obviously this game the talking point coming in was Cam Rising not playing and Bryson Barnes kind of put that to rest very quickly with a 70 yard touchdown to open the game Um, they played two quarterbacks in this game for Utah they had Bryson Barnes go in a little bit and they had Nate Johnson who is just an electric athlete, someone definitely to watch down the road for the Utes. But I think the change of pace with quarterbacks definitely made it tough for Florida. They just never seemed to really get into a rhythm on defense and kind of find the way that they were going to attack the offense, really. And I think Utah really, I mean, missing eight starters and still playing at that uh, high of a level on defense is just a real game changer. So I think Utah definitely showed me that they're the same team they've always been. You know, they, they... play really tough, really smart football, and they definitely make sure that Florida was off pace, did not know what to attack, and definitely Utah came away from this one a little bit more comfortably than I was expecting them to. I thought Florida would be able to push them, especially with Cam Rising not playing, but Utah really handled business and just showed that they were the better team on all three phases of the ball. So Utah, really big win there, and uh, should carry that momentum into Pac-12 play. Um, now let's get to the other Thursday night game, Nebraska-Minnesota. Um, this game was Big Ten through and through. Uh, if you miss Big Ten football before this game, you do not miss it after it, I promise. But Nebraska looked good. I mean, they early in the game, the O-line struggled a lot. I think uh, Jeff Sims, one of the knocks on him coming in was he tries to do too much stuff with his legs and not enough with his arm and doesn't have that ability to do the stuff with his arm that they're going to need him to do. And he didn't do much to dispel those uh, those rumors, those allegations. So they, he definitely struggled. He gave up two or three interceptions, I guess, at the end of the day. And the last two were just terrible. Uh, the first INT was on pressure, and he was just trying to get the ball away, made a tough throw. But the last two were really rough and gave Minnesota a real chance to win the game. So... Um, Minnesota obviously just kind of executed all game. They were far from perfect on offense, obviously, but the last two drives were very, uh, comfortable. They knew exactly what they wanted to attack. And obviously that last catch in the end zone by Minnesota was absolutely wild. That toe drag is one of the best catches of the year already. So, um, definitely an interesting game. Definitely one that they need that Nebraska needs to take a long look at and think we really should have won that game. I mean, it was in their hands for probably 55 uh, minutes, and then they lost it in the last five. So I think Nebraska has a lot to learn from this one. I think they got to be frustrated with uh, how this season started, but I think Nebraska still has a lot in front of them. Obviously a big one coming up against Colorado, which we'll talk about later. But, uh, yeah, Nebraska definitely has to make some waves here and uh, kind of change their path here. All right, let's roll on into Saturday, and we got 
Obviously, the one that everyone's talking about coming away from this week is Colorado against TCU. Colorado made a big statement in this one. I mean, they had four receivers over 100 yards receiving. Travis Hunter played 141 snaps, which is just insane. But um, I think TCU really came into this game. I think a lot of people were expecting them to just be the team that played in the playoff and that made such big waves last year. But they lost a ton of guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and that was very evident. Uh, A lot of bad tackling by TCU. Colorado was pretty much able to just do dump passes and then just make stuff happen after the catch. So definitely TCU's got a lot of stuff to work on, and this won't be the best team that Colorado plays. But um, Colorado definitely sent a message to the rest of the Pac-12 and just kind of proved that they're not the team that everyone kind of thought they were. I know there were some people... Um, believing Colorado to make a big run, I wasn't necessarily one of those people. I didn't talk about this game because I thought it would be probably a 21-point win for TCU, but I was obviously very wrong. But I think this Colorado team is obviously now on track to win six or seven games. And I've said from the beginning of the year that if Dion can pull that off, win six or seven games with this roster, with the amount of change that went on, he should definitely win National Coach of the Year. Um, I think he... It will be one of the craziest turnarounds in college football history. You know, you add that many guys from a team that was really not good last year. And to have the turnaround they did, especially, I mean, even to start the year in week one, a huge opponent to start and uh, just went out there and kind of handled business. Obviously, the defense is going to face bigger challenges and needs to tighten up, but that offense looks really lethal and can definitely win them some games in the Pac-12. Now to UNC South Carolina. This was another one that I thought was going to go the opposite way. I thought I thought South Carolina was just going to have too much on offense, and UNC wasn't going to be able to get there with their D line. But man, was I wrong. Uh, Kimmy and Rucker and all the other guys really kind of handled business and really defined that uh, the line battle in that one. So definitely a matchup that I did not see going the way it uh, it did. But I will say. Drake May, with now the playmakers they seem to have on defense, makes UNC a a real contender in the ACC and kind of changes the complexion of the ACC, especially with the Clemson loss. But um, yeah, I think UNC definitely makes um, a lot of teams a little nervous because with with Drake May running the offense and now that D-line, anything is possible for this team. So interesting team to keep an eye out on. Uh, South Carolina's O-line obviously looked very bad, very porous, so... Um, they're a team that they have to figure that out before week three at UGA or they're just going to get eaten alive. So tons to figure out for uh, SC, UNC, obviously feeling great going into week two. Um, and just a little side note, NCA denying Tez Walker his eligibility is just another example of the NCA being really bad at what they do. So uh, I'll just leave that at that. But um, let's get to the Sunday night matchup, LSU-FSU. Alrighty, now to the main event of the weekend. Florida State against LSU. Huge matchup, obviously. Number five against number eight to start the season. One that everyone was looking forward to. And through half the game, it it looked like it was going to shape up to be a similar game from last year. You know, a very competitive battle. Obviously a little bit more offense, but it it looked like it was going to be down to the wire, really tough. And then Florida State just pulled away. I mean... The LSU receivers obviously struggled a little bit, a couple of drops here and there. The O-line struggled, but Florida State seemed very for real. I mean, this is not an LSU team that is going to be bad by any standard, so 
Florida State coming in and winning the way they did is really wildly impressive. All the transfers seem to be uh, very helpful to this offense, especially Keon Coleman, who grew up in the LSU area, so you knew he was coming into this game with a little chip on his shoulder, a little aggression. You know, not being recruited by LSU makes a huge difference when players step onto that field. So uh, Keon Coleman definitely played to hit the height of his ability, and I think L- uh, FSU fans have to be super excited about what this offense can do. Obviously, Jordan Travis started what some people think is going to be his Heisman campaign uh, off very strong. And Florida State seems to be setting the pace in the ACC, obviously, with Clemson going down, which we'll talk about in just a second here. But I think Florida State really uh, seems like the team that is going to be setting the pace in the ACC, seems like the team that is going to really kind of define the ACC in a lot of ways. Obviously, UNC will have something to say about that. Clemson will still have their say, I'm sure, but um, and obviously Duke coming off a huge win will have a say, but I think this Florida State team is uh, pretty comfortably better than a lot of the teams in the ACC and should roll uh, a lot of the way. I mean, obviously there will be some hurdles to get over, but this team looks really good uh, offense and defensive side of the ball, so be very uh, surprised if this FSU team doesn't keep this going and doesn't uh, find themselves at least in the ACC title game. All right, now let's get to the Sunday night matchup. Alrighty, Duke-Clemson time, the game that everyone was very excited about, the game that everyone loved watching because it seems like no one likes Dabo, and I promise I am with you on that. But um, Duke is just wildly impressive performance. I mean, the only time Clemson scored any points was on a muff punt at about the Duke 20-yard line, so... Not a ton of offense to speak of from the Clemson side. Uh, from the Clemson side, so Duke really kind of handled this game from the get go. Controlled the pace. Riley Leonard obviously had a great game, and I think this Duke team really kind of proved to people that last year was not a fluke. Last year was not, you know, them getting good scheduling or just catching heat at the fir- at the right time. But I think this Duke team is gonna probably win nine games again this year. Probably. Um, be in the thick of it for the ACC race, especially with this huge win here. Um, I mean, Clemson, uh, on the Clemson side, they got to be questioning a lot of things. Obviously, Cade Klubnick didn't look as good as they probably hoped he would look under Garrett Riley. Garrett Riley didn't seem to have the great effect that they were hoping for, at least in uh, game one. And obviously, Dabo Sweeney's comments after the game where he said, He's calling the Clemson offense. We're not calling his offense. Obviously cannot help and cannot make uh, Tiger fans feel too good right now. But I, I do think Clemson will kind of bounce back from this. We'll keep playing really good defense, and we'll be able to kind of make a, a little bit of a run in the ACC. But I think they definitely have a lot of questions to answer, not only on the football field, but in kind of their general approach to uh, building a program. So... Tons of questions for Clemson. Duke has to feel great, but definitely a game that I did not see coming. I thought at even at halftime, I felt like Clemson had the upper hand, was going to kind of start run the ball, wear Duke down, but it just never quite happened. So props to Duke, obviously. Um, Clemson's got a lot of stuff to figure out, but it starts with just a week, win this week and kind of get stuff moving. Alrighty, now a couple just uh, side thoughts from week one. Um, Oklahoma and Oregon scored about half a million on their opponents. Obviously not the biggest opponents they will face, uh, not even in the next week or so. But 
Obviously, huge wins for them. Uh, the Oklahoma offense has to feel great going into their Week 2 matchup and kind of going into the year. So both those teams lit up the scoreboard. Should be really fun uh, to watch going forward. And obviously, the two huge upsets that happened, Wyoming beating uh, Texas Tech and Texas State uh, beating Baylor, obviously huge matchups for both those teams. I just don't get why Texas Tech would ever go to Wyoming to play a game. If you're a Power 5 team, stop going to Wyoming. Stop going to Boone, North Carolina to play App State. Stop playing these good football teams at their home stadium. Even if they're smaller teams, just it's a bad idea. They have a really good shot to beat you, and there's no reason to put yourself in that situation. As for Texas State, TJ Finley looks awesome. Uh, obviously a huge transfer portal group in that team, and they kind of just handled Baylor. I mean, them winning by 11 points is a crazy margin over a Power 5 team, so got to feel great uh, for the Bobcats there. But, um, yeah, I mean, a crazy week one, a couple of crazy upsets. Obviously, Colorado smashing onto the scene. But week one is history. Week two is still a mystery. Tons of really good matchups in week two. So let's get into it. Alrighty, huge week two ahead. Tons of games to get to. We're going to kind of work our way through the Saturday slate. But we'll start with Notre Dame-NC State, a huge matchup for Notre Dame. Obviously the first big test of the Sam Hartman era. They've only given up three points in their first two games, so obviously this will be a bigger challenge for them. NC State obviously coming in with a lot of confidence. They have new quarterback Brennan Armstrong, who led the team in passing and rushing last week, so you got to feel great about what that guy brings you, not only with his arm, but with his legs. Definitely changes the game, especially from the Notre Dame defensive side. They got a ton to deal with with this NC State team, and I think this is going to be a really tough game, at least in the first half for Notre Dame, just kind of getting back up to pace of playing, you know, big-time teams and get Sam Hartman, you know, moving in the offense against a really good defense. So uh, it should be a really fun one. I think NC State, obviously they, they struggled a little bit as a team against UConn last week, needed a little bit of a push in the fourth quarter to win that one. But I think this NC State team will slowly become a better team, especially with the transfer quarterback coming in. I think this team will take a little bit of time to take shape, but I think it's going to be a really solid team at the end of the day. So I think this will be a fun game. I am going to take Notre Dame by about 7-10. to 10. I think NC State is good and will only get better, but I think they're not quite there yet. I'll go Notre Dame just to run the ball really effectively and kind of handle the pace of this game. Let's uh, roll on over to Nebraska-Colorado. Obviously a game that a lot of people are looking at with Colorado coming off a huge win last year, last week, I mean. But uh, these are two teams coming from two totally different places this week. Nebraska coming off a bad loss, Colorado coming off a huge win. So a lot of emotions going into this game. A lot of teams, you know, maybe Nebraska playing a little bit tougher just because of that, you know, anger of losing last week. So should be really interesting to watch how this one goes. I think Shadur Sanders is going to have to be a little bit more creative with the way that he makes plays. Not as many dump-offs, not as many um, screen passes, a lot of uh, pushing the ball down the field a little bit more, kind of stretching out the defense, because this is a much better defense than they played last week. So it should be interesting to watch. I mean, obviously Travis Hunter has become appointment television, so should be uh, a fun one to watch. I think Jeff Sims, I think he's a really solid player. I think he's athletic. I think he has the ability to kind of stretch plays with his legs. 
but I just think he's going to make one too many mistakes. I think Dylan Edwards and Travis Hunter uh, make a couple of plays down the stretch for Colorado, and Colorado wins by about seven. Um, don't feel super confident. It feels like one of those games that if you're coming into this week not knowing anything about college football or you're just looking at last week's performance, you're obviously picking Colorado to win. But I think Nebraska comes in a little bit hungry, comes in a little bit uh, angry, and keeps them in the game at least for a half. And then I think Colorado kind of finds a way to win late in the game. Let's roll on over to A&M against Miami. A huge game from last year, obviously. Um, playing something of a home-and-home, home, so now they're playing in Florida for this one. Definitely a tough matchup for A&M. Connor Wegman looked awesome last week, which is a huge plus for A&M fans. they got to feel uh, be feeling great about that one. And then Miami's running game looked awesome last week. Uh, Henry Parrish obviously kind of leading the way there. And the O-line looked a ton better than it did last year, which was obviously the big problem. A&M does have the advantage when it comes to wide receiver and running back talent, but Miami's defense led by Cam Kitchens on the back end is obviously uh, obviously has a big advantage in terms of communication on the back end and kind of getting everyone set the way they should. So I think that could help Miami a lot with just picking up all these different options that A&M has on the offensive side of the ball. As for what I think will kind of define this game, I think it's A&M's D-line against Miami's O-line. If Miami can run the ball and kind of control clock, keep the A&M offense on the sideline, I think they have a really good shot of winning just because the A&M offense has not necessarily proved that it can go punch for punch, at least not yet. So I think Miami, if they can keep the offense on the sideline, you know, run the ball a lot, they could definitely win this game. Um... That being said, I am going to go A&M by three. I think A&M makes just enough plays. I think the D-line uh, kind of doesn't terrorize a young offensive line for Miami, but definitely makes some plays, definitely makes a difference on this game. So I'm going to go A&M to win. Alrighty, let's get into Ole Miss Tulane. Obviously, Tulane, the darlings of last year, beating USC in the Sugar Bowl. Obviously, a huge win for that program. They return Michael Pratt. They return Willie Fritz, even though he got some looks for Power 5 jobs. So you got to feel be feeling great if you're a Green Wave fan. I mean, this is obviously the biggest um, challenge they'll have probably this entire year, playing a huge SEC team that has a ton of really good transfers coming in. So should be a fun game to watch, should be an interesting, and also a great jersey matchup, just something to look out for. But Ole Miss, obviously starting Jackson Dart at quarterback, helps a ton. I think him knowing the offense is a huge difference maker. He obviously beat out two really good quarterbacks in Walker Howard and Spencer Sanders, who's played a ton of football at the Power 5 level. So they got to be feeling pretty good about that quarterback there. Uh, he had a great week last week, obviously. And the running game from Ole Miss is a lot of the same. It's a lot of Quinshawn Judkins. Uh, obviously a fantastic player. Will be the best player on the field this week. Uh, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. But I think Ole Miss is obviously the more talented team on both uh, lines and at the skill positions. And I'm just going to go for Ole Miss to kind of wear them down, run the ball a ton, control both uh, sides of the offensive, or the both lines, and kind of just define this game, uh, control pretty much start to finish. I think Tulane might hang around for the first half just a little bit, but I think Ole Miss will slowly pull away, probably win by 14 to 21. So I'm going to go Rebels in this one. 
I think Tulane has a chance to make a huge statement, obviously, again, and kind of set the pace as they're the group of five team to beat um, this year. But I do like Ole Miss to kind of take the uh, take the win, move on to SEC schedule, and uh, feel pretty good about where they're at. All right, let's go to a huge game at night this week. Obviously, Oregon going to Texas Tech. A game that was built up a lot going into week one and has been kind of tempered a little bit by Texas Tech's loss at Wyoming. But I still think this game has a chance to be really interesting, uh, a chance to kind of uh, be a under-the-radar under game for some people that they're not looking at that I think could be really fun and come uh, down to the wire in a lot of ways. So uh, I think if you asked Oregon how they wanted Texas Tech to handle business in week one, they wouldn't have said them losing to Wyoming. This obviously gives Texas Tech a little bit more uh, of a desperation feeling. Definitely will be more focused at practice and come game time. So Oregon's definitely got their work cut out for them. Definitely a game that if you looked at it on paper, Oregon wins a thousand times out of a thousand. But it's college football. Tons of things happen that we do not foresee happening. I think Texas Tech will play this game a lot closer. I think they will obviously um, keep Oregon... They'll play a ton better defense than they did last week. Giving up 35 to Wyoming is obviously not what you want, uh, especially with an Oregon team that's coming in with one of the most explosive offenses in the country. Bucky Irving had two car- had four carries last week, two touchdowns, so a ton of good talent on that team, a ton of really good receivers, and obviously Bo Nix leading the show can only help the Ducks a ton. Uh, as for Texas Tech, Tyler Shuck has yet to lose a home game where he has started and finished the game. He obviously does have some injury troubles, but it should be a comfort to Texas Tech fans knowing they have a seasoned quarterback that has been through a lot of tough games and can kind of handle that atmosphere that he's going to be under on Saturday. Um, As for what I kind of think is going to happen in this game, this one's a tough uh, tough one to pick just because Texas Tech is in desperation mode, does need a win, but I'm going to go Oregon. I think they're just comfortably a better team. I think they are pretty much better on both sides of the ball, specifically on the line. So I lean Oregon just to kind of light up the scoreboard, maybe win like 14 to 28. I, I think it'll be a little bit a tougher of a game defensively just because Texas Tech will be playing with a chip on their shoulder, playing a little bit with more energy than I think Oregon is fully prepared for at least early in the game but I think Oregon will find a way and I think they'll win by about 14 um as I've said before I really like this Oregon team I think they're gonna make a lot of noise this year and I think it kind of starts on Saturday all right it's main event time it is Texas Alabama one of the biggest games of the year definitely the biggest out of conference game of the year a ton of really big uh, storylines going into this one. Steve Sarkeesian obviously playing his old boss, Nick Saban, trying to become the third assistant to beat Saban in his career, which is just wild to think about. But uh, a couple more stats from this one. Alabama is 53-1 and in their last 54 home games. That one loss is to probably the best team I've ever seen in 2019 LSU. So Texas has their work cut out for them, that's for sure. I mean... When you look at last year's matchup, obviously the turning point in that one was Quinn Ewers getting injured early in the first quarter, but I think if they can keep Quinn Ewers on his feet, keep him upright, let him kind of diagnose the defense and make throws uh, 
comfortably without having to worry about uh, the Bama D-line. I think he can have a huge day, especially with some injuries in the back end of Alabama's defense. I think Malachi Moore will end up going, but Jalen Key missing is obviously a huge loss for that defense. So Texas has to be at least feeling a little bit better going into this week, knowing they have tons of weapons around them, tons of ways to kind of beat you, and knowing that Alabama's defense is struggling uh, on the back end a little bit with all those wide receivers they're going to have to cover can only be a good thing for Texas. But as for what these teams did in the first game of the season, both offensive lines kind of struggled just to kind of set um, set the pace in, in both those games. I think Rice and Middle Tennessee did a good job of pressuring both quarterbacks and kind of setting up blitzes so the offensive line would be off pace or just not knowing where the blitz was coming from. It was definitely a good job by both uh, DCs for Rice and Middle Tennessee. But I think we'll see better uh, O-line play in general in this game. I think uh, we'll see the both O-lines just play with a little bit more energy play, knowing that they have to be really good th- uh, tomorrow if either of those teams is going to win. So definitely a, a huge thing to watch. I think the Texas D-line against the Bama O-line is kind of the decider here. I think the Texas D-line looks a ton better, uh, or front seven in general looks a ton better than it has in probably about 10 years. Uh, so I think it could definitely give fits to the Bama O-line, especially because uh, Bama definitely wants to run the ball, wants to control the pace, wants to um, push people on the offensive line. And if they're not able to do that early, it it forces Jalen Milrow to kind of make some plays with his arm, uh, be a little bit more dynamic in that way. So I think uh, it could definitely pose a little bit of a challenge to Bama's O-line, but I do like Bama's O-line a lot. I think they will have a little bit of a bounce-back performance and kind of not fully control, but at least do enough to kind of control the line a little bit and uh, um, knock Texas off their off their uh, beat a little bit. Um, as for who I have in this game, it is definitely a tough one for me to pick. I want to pick Texas very bad. I, I want Texas to win this game. I think it could be a Texas is back moment, if that's what you want to call it. But um, I'm going to go Bama. I think this is the, a team that doesn't have a lot of variables. I think, obviously, the O-line needs to play better, but I think they will. I think they'll run the ball really tough, and I think the defense is able to keep Texas kind of off balance. I do expect kind of a low-scoring game. I think Bama wins something like 31-24 to or something like that, but I do think Bama kind of pulls away in the uh, fourth quarter, makes a couple of plays, and Jalen Moreau uh, makes a couple of plays with his arm that I think people aren't expecting. So I'm going to take Bama. I don't love it. I don't love doing it, but I think I have to. All right, that'll do it for just another college football podcast week two preview. Tons of really good games to look forward to this weekend and tons of games I didn't even get a chance to touch on. That'll be great games this week. So get on your couch, have about two or three TVs going, immerse yourself in college football and really enjoy it. Um, But thanks for listening, everyone, and I'll see you next time.